Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Spirit of Grace Church. Looking forward to a good time in the Word of God today. We want to ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 32. I want to read a short passage of Scripture there. Genesis chapter 32. So thankful for what God is doing. And we want to start at verse 22. Talking about Jacob tonight and... Uh, my title for my message tonight is Lessons from a Wounded Wrestler. Lessons from a Wounded Wrestler. And the Bible says he, he rose up in verse 22 that night and took him, his two wives, his two women servants, and his eleven sons, and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except you bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince has power with God and with men, and has prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it? that thou dost ask after my name. And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the, there, uh, of the place Peniel, and uh, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over uh, Peniel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is uh, upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh, in the sinew that shrank. I want to, with the help of the Lord, just share with you uh, what took place that we see in this passage. I think there's five things that we can learn uh, from this wrestling with the Lord. And uh, all of us have wrestled with God at some time or another as we struggle to do things in our way. We've wrestled with God as we tried to understand why bad things happen to good people. We're dealing with that right now in our society. Why is God allowing some of the things to happen to people that don't deserve it? We've wrestled with God over his call in our lives. We've wrestled with God over the things that he's asked us to give up for him. We've also wrestled with God. So I believe that tonight we can learn some valuable lessons from Jacob, the wounded wrestler. The first one I want to uh, address tonight is simply this. Admit that your way doesn't work. It's a principle that we can learn from Jacob. By crossing the Jabbok, uh, Jacob would be entering into the land that God had sworn to give to Abraham's descendants, the promised land, if you will. And God wasn't about to allow Jacob to enter the promised land or the land of his blessing or favor, however you want to put it, on his own terms or in his own strength. 1 Corinthians 1.25 lets us know that the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. He found out that his way of entering the, the promised land wasn't going to work because God wasn't going to let it work. And that's why the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. I find it interesting, uh, there's probably several stories like this, but I read a long time ago a story in 1849, a wagon that was traveling through Death Valley to follow the gold rush. Uh, into California. And as this particular wagon was going through Death Valley, which is 
probably the hottest area uh, in California. They looked ahead and they saw a sheet of water that they thought was a lake, but it was just a mirage that was created by the intense heat. And the harder they uh, pressed on to make it to the water, the more frustrated they became. The became the harder it was that they had to work. And see, if we have to, or if we try to accomplish things in our own strength, in our own way, in our own mindset, we will be just as successful as that wagon train back in that day pursuing a mirage. And we keep fighting, we keep pursuing this thing that's really not what it is, um, but because we're so uh, ready for a certain thing to happen, uh, we allow that to become our destination. We will never be successful because our way simply doesn't work. Your way doesn't work. My way doesn't work. And so my question to you tonight, is there anything that you've been trying to do in your own strength, in your own ability, or in your own maneuvering? Have you been trying to build a bridge, so to speak, in order to get to God? Maybe you've been trying to manufacture a holy life or Maybe you've been trying to give up a bad habit that has been sticking around you and you're just doing it out of sheer willpower. Whatever it is, tonight I believe is the time that you need to admit between you and God that you can't do it alone. It's time for us to admit that our way doesn't work very often. It's time to stop doing things the way that we want them to be done and start doing them the way God wants them to be done. And see, it is only by God's power and by his grace that you and I are able to establish really a relationship with him that is empowered to cause us to live a holy life. I think I was uh, in our Sunday message, I, I made the statement, God said, be ye holy for I am holy. And for too long we have treated that as a commandment from God for something for us to do in order, in other words, we must become holy because he's holy. And uh, I believe that that's a misinterpretation of that scripture. I believe that God is declaring something to be so. He's declaring us holy because he's holy. It's the way he does things. It's his grace. It's his mercy. It's his empowerment, and it's only through his deliverance that we can be set free from the sinful habits that we have. Our way doesn't work. Our way is just a temporary, quote-unquote, fix to the situation that we're in. So you might as well admit it. We admit that here in this passage. We see that, the, that Jacob was willing to admit that his way wasn't the way it was going to be. He was going to have to wrestle with God. Number two, and this is something that we quote pretty easily, and it kind of rolls off of our tongue because of certain passages that we've memorized and, and talked about throughout the years. But the second principle that we can learn from the wounded wrestler is simply this. We need to believe in God's sufficiency. Um, they're, they're, the Bible teaches us some interesting things about spiritual blessings and strengthenings. Hebrews 7, 7 says, without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. So by crying out for a blessing, Jacob is ultimately acknowledging that God was greater than he was. And by seeking God's blessing, he was humbling himself. And at the same time, he was exalting God. He realized that only God could provide the blessing that he so desired and that he so needed. So he believed that God was sufficient to, to provide that blessing. And uh, 
God did say to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And it was in this weakened condition that Jacob was able to believe in God like never before. And so God's power was made perfect through the weakness that Jacob was putting forward. But so many times we find it so difficult to do something as simple as believe in him to do something for us. Uh, I remember reading, this was several years ago, I read a story, uh, an interesting story by about a college student who was, uh, I can't even remember what class, some kind of a speech class, maybe a debate class, and he was asked to prepare a lesson uh, to present to the class the following week. And so he would be graded on creativity and ability to drive home a point in a memorable way. And so the title of his talk was entitled The Law of the Pendulum. And he spent 20 minutes carefully teaching the physical principle that governs a swinging pendulum. And the law of the pendulum is simply this. A pendulum can never return to a point higher than the point from which it was released. And uh, because of friction and gravity, when the pendulum returns, it will always fall short of the original uh, release point. And so each time it swings, it makes it a little bit less and less of an arc until it is finally at rest. And that point of rest is called the state of equilibrium, where all the forces on the pendulum are equal. And so this student attached a, a three-foot string uh, to a child's toy and secured it to the top of the blackboard with a thumbtack. And he pulled the, the string uh, to one side and he made a mark on the blackboard where it let it go. And each time it swung back, he made a new mark and it took less than a minute uh, for the top to complete its swinging and come to rest. And when he finished the demonstration, the markings on the blackboard proved the law of the pendulum. And so the student then asked how many people in the room believed in the law of the pendulum uh, was true, if it was true. And, and all of his classmates uh, raised their hands, and, and even the teacher raised his hand. And so the teacher started to walk to the front of the classroom, thinking that his speech was over, when in reality it was just beginning. And hanging from the steel beams in the middle of the classroom was a large, crude, but functional pendulum that was made of about 250 pounds of metal weights tied to four strands of 500-pound test parachute cord. And so the student invited the instructor to climb up on a table and sit in a chair with his back, uh, with his, the back of his head against the wall. And then the student brought the 250 pounds of metal up to the teacher's nose. And holding the this huge pendulum uh, just a fraction of the inch from the teacher's face, the student once again explained the law of the pendulum that he had moments before uh, been applauded with. And he said this, if the law of the pendulum is true, then when I release this mass of metal, it will swing across the room and it will return short of its release point. Your nose will be in no danger. And so after the final statement of that law, the student looked at his teacher in the eye and said, sir, do you believe this law is true? And there was a long pause and huge beads of of sweat formed on his upper lip. And, and then he weakly nodded and whispered, yes. Uh, the student then released the pendulum and it made a swishing sound as it arced across the room. And 
got to the far end of the string and it paused momentarily and then started back towards the teacher. And the student later testified that he had never seen a man move so quickly in all of his life as the teacher literally dove from the table. You see, it was easy for this teacher to believe in the law of the pendulum when it was all theoretical. But when it became practical and a force of reality, he wasn't as apt to trust that law. You see, it's easy for us to believe in God's sufficiency in church on Sunday or in a Bible study. But in the real world, when our lives are on the line, too many of us demonstrate what this teacher demonstrated, and that is that our belief is only theoretical. We've got to believe that God's sufficiency is incredible. And uh, so your way doesn't work. That's the first principle. So admit it. God is sufficient. You might as well believe it and act it out. And when we do that, we'll see God begin to do some amazing things. And uh, I believe that God sometimes puts us to the test, just like that student put the teacher to the test, to not to challenge our wisdom or our understanding. He tests us so that we can see for ourselves what principle we take or that we're living in the real world with or what principles we're just operating in the theoretical, you know, the iCloud concept. And uh, I believe that God wants us to understand that he is all-sufficient, and he is going to take care of each one of us. Excuse me. Uh, number three, confess your own sinfulness. So, see, Jacob demonstrated his belief in the sufficiency of God by asking him for a blessing, but God first insisted that Jacob tell him his name, almost ignored the request for the blessing, and went just right to asking Jacob his name. And the question is, well, why did God ask him what his name was? Didn't God already know who Jacob was? Of course he knew who Jacob was, but the name of Jacob means supplanter, which is one who displaces another deceitfully. And that is exactly what Jacob did by tricking his uh, the his brother out of the birthright and stealing the blessing from Isaac to supposedly the oldest son, but it was actually Jacob the younger. So by speaking his name Jacob, he was ultimately really confessing his true nature because in Bible days, names meant everything about that person. And so Jacob, by just declaring I'm Jacob, he is declaring, I am a supplanter. I am deceitful. Um, uh, he, so he's really confessing his true nature to God. And, and from this, we learn the principle that God will not totally bless us um, uh, uh, unless we first confess our sin. John uh, taught this truth in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, when he said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And the psalmist experienced this when he wrote in Psalm 32, 5, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You see, the blessed, greatest blessing that God can bestow on a human being is the forgiveness of their sins and the cleansing from their sins. 
And that blessing can only be received when we first confess those things to God himself. And uh, I find it interesting, uh, a story several years back about the Prussian king, um, Frederick the Great, who was once touring a Berlin prison. And the prisoners fell on their knees before him to proclaim their innocence except for one man who remained silent. And, and so out of all those people, Frederick calls to him, why are you here? Armed robbery, armed robbery, your master, or your majesty, he said the, the reply. And are you guilty, the master uh, replied. And, and this, this person in Berlin said, yes, indeed, your majesty, I deserve my punishment. And at that point, Frederick, the king uh, of Prussia, uh, summoned the jailer and ordered him, release this guilty wretch at once. I will not have him kept in this prison where he will corrupt all the fine innocent people who occupy it. Read that back in all the way back in 1992 from Today in the World, uh, I believe a December 4th issue. So we understand that we have sinned and God knows that we have sinned and you know that you've sinned. He wants to agree with he wants you to agree with him that what you have done is wrong because when you agree with him that what you've done is wrong, it's only then that he can bless us with forgiveness and cleansing. You see, our way doesn't work. Our uh, our sufficiency can only come from him, but we're also sinners, so we need to confess it. We are wrong more often than we're right, and we need to be ready to let them know let them let God know. I understand that it's all about you. I, I want to be a part of it. And then that brings us to uh, number four, which is a desire for change. This is what we, these are the principles, if you will, that we've learned from Jacob and the story of him wrestling with an angel. As soon as Jacob spoke his name and thereby confessed his sin by just declaring who he was, and what his name meant by being Jacob, the supplanter or deceiver. And so immediately as he does that, God changes his name. Now, for you and I, our names sometimes have meaning, sometimes don't. But to the Hebrew, a name was spoken over you and defined or framed in, if you will, your character or your nature. And as we have seen with Jacob, his name certainly reflected his nature or the state of his heart, by changing uh, Jacob's name, God is showing that he had changed Jacob's heart. And we must go beyond merely confessing our sinful heart and our desire to change and have a holy heart. And did you ever wonder why we are baptized into the name of Jesus at water baptism, that like as Christ raised dead from the glory of God, that he also should raise us up and we can walk in newness of life? It's important to understand the reason why they put that in there. And that is they understood the concept that we must step out of just asking or confessing our sinful nature, but God will change our name, thus change the desire of our heart, thus make us holy. In the book of Ezekiel, God promised to change our hearts when he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. But we must desire that change of heart. God's not going to force it, but we have to have it like the way David did when he prayed. He said, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
And then in verse 10 of Psalm 51, uh, we see that, that that prayer, that exhortation, if you will, uh, which has become a, a heartbeat of my prayer, create in me a clean heart, renew in me a right spirit. If there be any unclean thing, wash me and cleanse me with the washing of water by the word. And that, that's a principle that we learn here. Like Jacob, we must come to God with a genuine desire to be transformed. I find it interesting, and I'm sharing with you some stories that I've read over the years. Uh, this is another one of a story that I read. His name is Jerry Clower, and he tells of uh, of a sheltered man who came to the city for the very first time. And in the lobby of this beautiful hotel, he stared at all these uh, incredible machines which kept open and closing. He was amazed at what took place right before his eyes. Two men entered the machine dressed in suits, and when the doors opened, three men came out in shorts. One man got in with three suitcases and, and was completely gone when the doors opened again. The excitement of this machine got the best of this man when an old and wrinkled lady walked into the machine and shut the doors, and then just a few minutes later, a gorgeous young lady ex exited from the time machine. He couldn't contain himself any longer. He yelled across the lobby to his son, boy, go get your mom. You see, it's, it's always easy to see the transformation that needs to take place in the lives of others, but we don't like to see or want to see the transformation that needs to play, take place in our lives. It doesn't matter how long you live for God. There's always going to be things that need to be adjusted, tweaked, things that need to be knocked off, things that needed to be added, things that need to be readjusted, things that needed to be changed. Um, and, and we would do well to receive the change and embrace the change instead of constantly fighting against the change. Uh, I believe that once God changed Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel, the way Israel carried himself from that point forward was probably incredible. Um, because it's not always easy to see the transformation that needs to take place in others, but we don't like to to see what hap has to happen in our <coughs> own hearts, excuse me. And I believe that um, we try to, we shy away when God tries to change us, because when God tries to change us, it's a little bit uncomfortable. When the Lord changed Jacob's name to Israel, there was a not only a physical shift, but there was a spiritual dynamic that shifted at that point in time and uh, totally rearranged the future, really, of the world. There, there was a man one time who worked with children that lived in sewers somewhere in South America, and he would get used to go down into the sewers and try to help the kids who were living there and uh, you know, I can't imagine being one of those children, virtually blind through living in the darkness of the underground, filthy through living through the sewage of the thousands of homes around, and and uh, maybe this offer, this man offers you a chance to leave. You jump at the opportunity, and he as he leads you out, as your eyes become accustomed to the light at the end of the tunnel, you see the state that you're in. You start recognizing all of the shortcomings and, and you start to see the excitement or the uh, the um, filth of the sewer. 
you're excited to come out of the sewer, but you recognize when you come out, the light shines and you see all of the sewer over you. And no matter how hard you try to get it off, its stains will not go away. And of course, um, the nearer you get to the light uh, coming in from the entrance of the tum tunnel, the dirtier that you appear. And so naturally you would shy away from ever coming out of the sewer until you were fit to be presented to the whole church or the whole body of people that were there. And uh, 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 because I'm sure that this man understood he was going to get ridicule. And uh, because I'm sure that he knew that by coming out in this manner of children's uh, lack of a better term, abuse, it's inevitable that you're going to be made aware of your own sickness, your own filth. For some of those children, the desire to be set free and transformed is overcome by their desire to cover up their filth, and so they go back. But for those few, they step out into the light day, the day, light fully of the day, and explain their filth so that they can begin to be transformed. And uh, so my question to you tonight is, which child are you? Your way doesn't work. We talked about that. Your music and or field broadcasters um, are doing the same thing and trying to expose the filth until they can be transformed. Which eyes are you looking through? Which child are you? Are you the one that cowers back in the midst of your darkness instead of stepping into that light because you're wanting to figure out how to get clean because the law of God has shown you how dirty you are and the things of God, how dirty you are? Is there that moment um, in your life where you said, there's just no way God can do anything for me? And because you have now recognized how filthy you really are, you have shied away from the presence of God or the things of God because in your mind, nothing can work. My friend, tonight I'm, I'm here to tell you, learn from this wounded wrestler. God can change everything. He can change your heart. He can change your desire. He can change. Uh, he is sufficient. If, you'll just admit, if you take the principles of this wounded wrestler and apply them to your life, you will find a change in your heart. And then that leads me to the last thing tonight that we can learn, and that is there is a promised land or a purpose. There is a place in God, in forgiveness, in cleansing that God has for you in the midst of your chaos. Jacob was now humbled and he was weakened in himself, and Jacob could enter into the promised land simply because uh, he was strong in, in faith. In this passage, Jacob began in the darkness of night. I want you to notice he began his wrestling match, in the, which is symbolic really of his spiritual condition. But after his encounter with God, the, the sun rises above him and he comes from the darkness into the light, which I think Simon Peter may have been referencing some of this back in the day that when Jacob came out of his wrestling match in the breaking of the day, he was changed and transformed. First Peter 2.9 says, He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Then again in Colossians 
For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So tonight I want to just remind you, like Jacob, we can pass from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light simply because the grace of God has opened unto us the entrance into the promised land of forgiving and cleansing. And we read this in this wrestling match. We read how he he has he, that that Jacob has uh, begun to fight. He's recognized his shortcoming. He's declared himself to be um, unclean, so to speak, and then God begins to do a work in him. Um, I, I believe that God has a place in the overall scheme of. Christianity, let me put it to you that way, in the kingdom of God, uh, even even more so than just being right and perfect, that God wants us to understand these principles as we have laid them out in this lesson from the wounded wrestler. You know, we read the wrestling of Jacob and we, we recognize that his hip is put out, his name is changed. Things happen in that moment of time with God that sometimes we don't even want to recognize in our own lives. Most of us don't want to wrestle with God. We just want God to do everything. Uh, the flip side is we don't realize we're wrestling with God because we're so in tune to what we're trying to accomplish in our own lives. So there's a balance there that has to happen. But if you can enter into the things of God the way that God wants you to enter them and you're willing to be changed, oh my, anything can happen. Lives can be transformed through you. You'll never enter your own way. You'll never enter in your own power. You'll never enter in your own condition because our condition is sinful. But you can enter if you're willing to be changed if you're willing to recognize like Jacob recognized of old that you can't do it your way, it didn't make sense to do it his way. It only made sense once God stepped in. You can't enter into a relationship with God or even a wrestling match with God in your own power unless he draws you into it. Uh, <clears throat> when he draws us, which he's the author and the finisher of our faith, according to scripture, he's the one that's pulling on our heartstrings. Um, your way doesn't work, so admit it. God truly is sufficient, so believe it. We are messed up people, just like Jacob was, and yet we should confess it to him, and we should begin to desire the things of God. There is something that sticks out to me in the book of Hebrews where it says that Abraham went to find a city whose builder and maker was God. That that has a lot of correlation to these principles that we learn with the wounded wrestler. When Jacob wrestled what he was really wrestling with, was the original call of Abraham and then to Isaac and now to Jacob. 
And it would have been easy for Jacob to get swallowed up in the signs of those times. But there was something about understanding that God knew some things or did some things that Jacob would never know. And so we talked about it tonight. He took him and uh, he recognized that his way doesn't work. He recognizes that God is sufficient and that he will provide the needs. He won't make us rich to be rich, but he'll provide us the needs to make us heavenly rich. And uh, you just need to enter into the promised land that God has for you. I don't know what that promised land is for, for you tonight or for any specific people. Here's what I do know, that wherever God has prepared for each one of us, whether it be another job, whether it be another neighborhood, whatever situation it might be, I believe that God is simply wanting to draw us into a restored purpose. Um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And uh, those kinds of things, when they begin to happen, if we're willing to recognize from somebody else's battle, the principles, our battle becomes less. I believe God more now because of the stories I've read in scripture than I ever could simply by my own experience. Because my own experience holds with at times when I was down and out and didn't feel like a lot of God. But whenever I got to that point where I just wanted to throw in the towel, this message comes back of the wounded wrestler. What did Jacob do that was so drastically different? He wrestled with God, just like you and I. But in our wrestles with God, he came up with a solution, or God came up with a solution that we would be able to uh, have a relationship with him if we're willing to go into the support of these principles. So again, I want to just remind you as we close, admit that your way doesn't work, because it never will. My way never works. Number two, believe in God's sufficiency. The Bible says, look under the hills from whence cometh your help. Your help comes from God. So believe in God's sufficiency, not only in a theoretical manner, but in a very practical way as well. Number three, confess your sins or your own sinfulness. Recognize that you can't do this on your own, that he has to declare you to be holy because he's holy. I want to hold his hand because the closer I get to him, the holier I get because he is absolutely, truly holy. Uh, then desire that change, that change of the name, that change of the character, that change of the state of his heart that Jacob dealt with. I want to have that in my life. When I come into contact with the Lord, I want to do the same thing. I want to have a change happen. And then the last thing, God's created a place of hope and forgiveness a promised land, if you will, a destiny. And I encourage you to enter into it tonight. Take the lessons from a wounded wrestler and step into your purpose this evening in Jesus' name. If you don't have a home church and you're local here at Coon Rapids, we invite you to come and join us at 1030 on Sunday mornings. And we're excited about some things that are getting ready to happen. Uh, we're, we're starting, uh, we're calling it our family day Starting the first Sunday will be uh, Mother's Day. We'll have a service from 9.30 to 10.30 for all ages. Uh, and our kids will go to 
their area and they've got all kinds of things planned out. We'll have the adults in our in the sanctuary and the adults will be from 16 on up. Our 12 to 15 year olds will have their own classroom. It's going to be exciting and uh, we're looking forward to what God is, is doing. And uh, I'm also going to mention here online tonight, beginning next Wednesday evening, our Chain Breaker Ministry, which is a restoration ministry. Um, and uh, our desire with this ministry is to allow those people that have addictions, that are hung up, that have depression, despair, anger, whatever it may be, anything that hangs you up or trips you up, um, we believe that God wants to restore you to the way that God wants to, that God designed you to begin with until worry, until anxiety, till uh, uh, all of the alcohol and drug, whatever it is, got you derailed. He wants to restore you back to that. And we want to share that with you, but we're going to start that at seven o'clock beginning next Wednesday evening. Our Chain Breakers Ministries will be moving till seven o'clock under the direction of Nicole uh, Bertelson, and we're looking forward to great reports from that ministry. We love you also very much. We hope to see you, should God tarry, this coming Sunday. In Jesus' name, have a great, great week.